Good morning, Great Hills. What a blessed privilege and honor it is to be in the house of the Lord with you on this day. Let me say thank you to Pastor Terry for his kind and gracious words. Uh, I do remember that golf tournament, and I think he kind of tells the story a little different than I recall it. Um, they did help me a lot, find a lot of my balls in the woods, but we did have a good time. And so I'm grateful for that opportunity. Let me again stand and say how grateful and how honored I am to have this privilege to be here at Great Hills Church to Pastor Danny in his absence. What a great friend, what a great leader you have here at the Great Hills Church. What makes this even such a more profound honor is that I know that we're celebrating his 10th year of ministry here at Great Hills, and God has been doing a great work through him. And as Pastor Terry mentioned, I'm so honored that I get to stand in his shadow as the chairperson of Christ Together Greater Austin after his leadership in that organization. So Great Hills, thank you to you also for your support of us in Christ Together. I'm grateful to be here and to have my wife here with me as well. So grateful that God has given me such a wonderful gift uh, for 24 years that she is here to worship with us on this day. And so it is a privilege to be here. Uh, Pastor Danny told me to act like I'm at home. And so I hope and pray that y'all have come to worship today. And I hear a few amens already, so I'm starting to feel comfortable. I love it already. And so just grateful to be here in your presence. Uh, the text that we have chosen today comes out of the book of 2 Kings, the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to read quite a bit. Uh, my pastor, the Reverend Dr. G.V. Clark at the Mount Zion Church would often tell us that if you read a lot, I don't have to preach a lot. And so uh, I'm going to read quite a few verses, 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse number 1, and I'm reading all of this so that you might have the full context of the story. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and whatever version you have, the story should be the same. It begins like this. Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, your Bible might say Syria, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore, the king of Aram said, go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. He brought the letter to the king of Israel and it read, when this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, am I God? killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Recognize that he is only picking a fight with me. Then Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent a message to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. Verse nine, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. 
Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left saying, I was telling myself he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Aren't Arbana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, my father or my leader, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you wash and clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy and he was clean. The first part of verse 15 says, then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him and declared, I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Thank you for your patience in our reading. And today I want to talk to you about the Naaman inside of me. The Naaman inside of me. I thought it was so fitting that God would place this sermon in my heart on this particular weekend. For this weekend, as each of us are aware, is Independence Day weekend. This is the weekend that we as a country celebrate the birth, the independence of this country as people, as founders came to this land and began a new nation where they could celebrate, where they could worship in the freedom of their religion. And I believe that it is on this weekend that all of us who are in this great country, we are reminded of the great American dream, and that is to work hard, to get all the education you can, to strive to do all that you can so that you might become successful. But I believe that there's a challenge in us remembering the American dream. And the challenge is that if we're not careful, we can get caught up in thinking that all that we do can be independent from who God is. There's a challenge that you and I can believe that if I work hard enough, if I do everything on my checkoff list, then I can be successful independent from God. But it is on this morning, I just want to remind you that we as Christians have given up our freedom to be independent. If you recall, Jesus, as he's walking through the streets of Galilee, he calls out to his disciples and says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then later down the road, he looks at them and says, if you're going to follow me, there are a few things you must do. Number one, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross every day and you must do this if you're going to follow me. And so it is on today that I want to talk with us about this man named Naaman, and I want to suggest that in each of us, if we check our lives, there's a little bit of him inside of all of us. And so there are five things I want to share with you in this text. Now, Pastor Danny told me I had an hour, so I'm going to try to get out everything I can. I'm just kidding. Y'all can laugh. It's okay. But there are a few things I want to share with you today about this text, and I hope and pray that it is helpful to you. The first thing I want you to notice in this text and looking at verse number one is that there's something I'm calling the cover-up in verse number one, the cover-up. Look at this. 
It says that Naaman, the commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. As we are introduced to Naaman, we find out that he is a man of great stature. He is a valiant warrior. He is someone who has been decorated with many medals of honor, that he leads the army into battle and that he has been successful. He is wealthy. He is a man to be admired. He is someone that you would love to look at his resume and see all of his accomplishments. But I love how verse number one tells you about how great he is, but at the end of it, they tell you that there's a problem. Regardless of his accolades, regardless of his abilities, regardless of all that he has accomplished, the text says that in the midst of it all, he has a skin disease. The King James Version of some other Bibles will say that he has leprosy. And what's amazing about this text is that it does not matter his statue, it does not matter all that he has achieved, he is still in the midst of his accomplishments trying to cover up something that is wrong with him. He is trying to cover up with his uniform and with all the brass and with all of his medals. He is covering up something that is deficient inside of him. And can I suggest to us this morning that all of us have a little bit of Naaman inside of us and we believe that all that we have accomplished can cover what's wrong inside of us. There are many of us who have resumes, who have vitas and all of these things that can roll down for pages that people can be impressed with who we are. But the challenge is, is that we, we really begin to look deep inside of ourselves. All of us have a little something inside of us that we don't want others to see. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Naaman, to be the commander of the king's army, to be the person who is in charge, but yet every time you're around other people, you have to hide that which makes you human that which makes you frail, that which makes you vulnerable. Naaman had a lot of things he could be proud of, but the text says that in the midst of all of his accomplishments, he had a skin disease. And so I'm suggesting to us that right now, we have to start to look within ourselves and find out what is that one thing inside of us we don't want anybody to know. What is that one thing that we dress up? What is that one thing that we cover up? What is that one thing inside of us that we would be ashamed if others knew it about us? And can I suggest that if you can't find the list, let me help you with one because all of us, the Bible says, are sinners. And so that means that regardless of how short or long your list is, all of us are in the same boat this morning because all of us, the Bible says, we've been born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And so all of us have sin that we do the best we can to cover up. The Bible says that Naaman was successful. The Bible says that he's a leader. The text tells us that he was valiant, that he was, worth, that he was wealthy, that he had all these things going for him, but yet there was still one thing he could not fix, and that is that he had leprosy. And so I'm suggesting to us that even in our own lives, there is a cover-up that we attempt to do so that others might just see the best of us. And can I also suggest right now in this country in which we live that there's a little bit of Naaman in this country. We try to look at all that we are. We're industry leaders across this planet. We do all that we can, but in this country there are sins that we are trying to cover up. And I believe that right now that God is calling us to no longer try to be independent from his grace and mercy, but to accept what God has for us and know that we can be set free. And so in verse number one, I want you to notice that Naaman is covering up his sin. But in the second verse, I want you to know that there's good news for Naaman. 
So not only is there a cover-up, but in verse number two, I want you to know that there is the cure. Look at what we read in the text. The text tells us that Aram had gone on rage and they brought back from the land of Israel a young girl, a servant girl who was serving Naaman's wife. And she makes a statement to Naaman's wife and this is what she says, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his disease. I need you to know that regardless of what it is in your life that you struggle with, all is not lost. For just like the young girl tells Naaman's wife, there is hope, there is a cure for this disease. I want you to take a look at this text and I want you to think about something in this. Of all the people, of all the networks, of all the connections that Naaman had, why is it that God would use a young servant girl to give him the most significant message in this entire passage? Did you notice in the text that we don't even get her name? The text just says that she's a young girl who happens to be in Naaman's house because she was one of those that they brought back after their last battle. Can I suggest to somebody this morning that there may be someone in your life that you're overlooking that may have a word of life for you. There may be someone in your life that you have not given much credit to, that you don't spend much time with, and they may have a word from the Lord for you that can restart and re-kick your life. This young girl, we never know her name. This is the only time she speaks and we never see her again. But the word she gives is a life-giving word. She says, if we can just get the master to the prophet in Samaria, I know that he can be healed. Can I tell you this morning that you ought to have some folks around you that know that if you can just get close to Jesus, that he can make a change in your life. Can you imagine what this was like? That nobody around Naaman knew about his disease, but yet a young girl who was in the most intimate place in his home found out about it and she didn't keep the secret to herself. Can I pause long enough to tell you that we as Christians have been keeping the secret of Jesus to ourselves for far too long. Right now is the moment in this country when we need to quit keeping Jesus a secret. We, we need to let the world know that if you get close to God, that God can heal that which you keep covering up. And so here it is, the young lady, the one who is not supposed to speak only when spoken to, the young lady who is there to meet the very need of Naaman's wife, she speaks up one day. If we can just get him to Samaria, there's a prophet there, there's a man of God, and she says, I know without a doubt that if he gets to him, that he can heal him of his leprosy. I need us to know right now that whatever has you burdened, whatever may have you depressed, whatever may have you considering that there is no hope in life, that there is a cure. I think the Bible sometimes calls him the balm in Gilead, but there is a cure. And I'm here today to tell you that this young girl gives him this message that if she, he can just get there, that he can be healed. So not only in this text do we see a cover-up, but we also find the cure. Now, I would just imagine if I were naming that after I've been struggling with this skin disease for so long, if I've been making sure that my clothes fit so that nobody can see the rash, if I can make sure that nobody sees me when I go to my doctor appointments, when I make sure that nobody sees what makes me frail, that to get a message to know that there is a cure, I would be excited beyond belief. And the text says that he responded the same way I would. Look at what it says in the text. It says that once he finds out about this, that he goes to the king and says, the servant girl in my house told me that if I get to Samaria, I can be cured of my disease. 
The king knew that he had an issue and wanted his master soldier to be healed. And so what does he do? He puts paperwork together. He puts jewels and gifts together and sends him to Samaria so that he might be healed. But there's a problem, and this is the third thing I want you to know. Not only is there a cover-up, not only is there a cure, but thirdly, I want us to look at the confusion. Look at what happens. The king says, I want you to be healed. Here are some jewels. Here is gold. Here is silver. Here are changes of garments. I'm going to send you to the king of Israel so that you might be healed. I know that some of you are scratching your head just like I am when I read the text. That's not what the little girl said. The little girl said, if you go to Samaria and see the prophet, you shall be healed. But what do they do? Naaman and the king said, I'm going to send you to the king of Israel so that you might be healed. And the text says that he takes all the silver, takes all the gold, takes all the clothing. He shows up at the house of the king of Israel and hands the letter to him. Now remember, Syria is a powerhouse at the moment that they have just defeated portions of Israel in their last battle. And so the king of Israel is intimidated because the letter comes to him and the king reads the letter and he says, what is this? Am I God that life and death are placed in my hands, that I am the one who can heal of a skin disease? And he says, the king of Syria is picking a fight with me. He doesn't understand why the king of Syria thinks that he can cure his disease. And that's part of what I want us to understand about the confusion. There are people in this world right now that believe that legislation can cure a sin problem. There are people right now that are looking to government for the ultimate solution. There are people right now who are looking to politicians, who are looking in other places other than the church for the ultimate solution that we need. And I'm here to tell you that we're confused. I am in no way suggesting that we should not fight for legislation, that we should not fight for those things that put places in law to help us, but I need you to know that law does not fix morality. That's what God gave us the Bible for. That's why God gives us his spirit to let us know what his wishes are on how to treat one another, on how to love one another. And here it is that just like in 2020, the king and Naaman are confused. Instead of going to see the prophet, he goes to see the king. I believe that Naaman and the king were in a place where they thought that because they had the title, that they had the cure. And I'm here to tell you that the Bible declares to me that there is no other name greater than the name of Jesus. I don't care if it's president, if it's king, I don't care who it is, but there is no name greater than the name of Jesus. And so they're confused because they go to the wrong place looking for the solution. And I love it when I look at this because to me it rolls out like a soap opera, like I'm watching television and I can see the king with this letter on his desk and I'm sure he's reading it and he probably read it two or three times and he looked at Naaman and looked at the letter and looked back at him and he looked at all the jewels and all the stuff that he brought for him and he finally threw up his hands and said, what does he want me to do? And you know what? I think there are most of us in our lives who have been in that place that when we have an issue in our life, we've gone to everybody we can think of and at some point you begin to throw up your hands when you find out that the solution is not where you thought it was. And here it is in the text that Naaman is faced with an issue 
because he goes to a place looking for help and his help throws up his hands. And not to mention, let me show you how distraught he is. The text says that the king of Israel tears his clothes because he's so distraught. He doesn't know what to do because he is afraid that if he cannot heal Naaman, that the king of Syria will come back and try to destroy them again. But the problem is, is that Naaman is confused. He doesn't understand the source of where the cure comes from. He doesn't understand that the king may be sitting on an earthly throne, but there's another king that sits on an eternal throne. And so he's in the wrong place looking for the right solution. Can I help somebody this morning? If you've been searching, if you've been going from place to place and can't seem to find your answer, right here in the church, you're in the right place this morning. Whether you're watching us from home or at work or in your car, listening to the gospel is where you need to be to find the solution for your life. And can I tell you what I love about this text is that while he's there, a good word comes to him. The text says that the king, after he rips his clothes, the prophet Elisha hears about it. Now, I love this because the text doesn't tell us how he hears. Now, I want you to remember there is no Twitter, there is no Facebook, there is no Instagram. I don't know how Elisha heard about this, but I guess God must have sent him a text message through the spirit and said that the king is distressed and we need you to help him. And so the text says that Elisha comes to him and says, King, why have you torn your clothes? Because the solution is in Samaria. It's just not at your house. And so what does he do? The text says that after this happens, Elisha sends the messenger that says to him, come to my house and I'll show you how to get this done. Now here's the challenge. We've talked about the fact that there's a cover up. Naaman for years, has been covering up his infirmity. He has been covering up his shortcoming because he doesn't want anybody to know that he's vulnerable. The young servant girl in his house declares with ultimate confidence that there is a cure for you in Samaria, but you have to go see the prophet. Naaman and the king of Syria demonstrate that they are totally confused about where the power lies and they go to the king of Israel with no avail because they cannot be helped. But then the prophet Elisha hears about it and says, come to the house and I will give you relief of your suffering. And this is where we get to point number four, and this is the confrontation. Notice what it says in the text. It says that he comes to the house, and when he gets to the house in verse number nine, Naaman came, and look at what he did. He showed up with his horses and his chariots, and he stands at the front door of the prophet's house, and I love this. He says that Elisha doesn't come to the door, but instead he sends a messenger to the door, and he says, go wash seven times in the Jordan River. Your skin will be restored and you will be clean. Now for many of us, I would have said, cool. I got my answer, didn't have to sit in the waiting room, didn't have to wait on him to get through with somebody else. He just gave me what I needed. But look at the response of Naaman. The text says that Naaman becomes angry and he leaves and listen to what he says to himself. He says, self, I thought that when I showed up at the door, the prophet would come to the door, that he would call upon the name of his God, he would wave his hand over the place that I'm sick and he would heal me. And then he says, on top of that, you want me to wash in the Jordan? That nasty, muddy Jordan? Don't you know there are two rivers in Damascus that are known for being pure and clean and cool, but you want me to go to the Jordan? 
Let me suggest to us this morning that this is where the confrontation takes place. There's a confrontation every time we are looking for help where we have to confront our ego and who we think we are. Notice what Naaman does in the text. Naaman does not show up to the prophet's house in a sense of humility. He shows up to the house with his horses, with his chariots, with the silver, with the gold, because he's trying to buy a cure. And then he has the audacity to get mad because he knocks at the door shines up his uniform and waits for the prophet to come out and the prophet sends somebody else and says, go wash in the Jordan and you'll be made whole. He missed the cure because his ego got in the way. Can I help somebody this morning and don't look at your neighbor because they might be looking at you. Your ego just might be in the way. I know that you've accomplished a lot of things. I know that you are the head at your business. I know that you are a great person to be admired, but in the kingdom of God, we are all servants. And God says, if you're going to come to me, you must come to me in humility. And so right now, Naaman has to confront who he believes he is in order to get the cure that he needs. And I believe that sometimes we work so hard to be who we wanna be that who we have become can get in the way of who God desires us to be. There's nothing wrong with being accomplished. There's nothing wrong with getting degrees. There's nothing wrong with starting your own business and becoming a CFO. There's nothing wrong with having titles behind your name. But if the title comes between you and God, then one day there's going to be a confrontation. And here it is in the text that Naaman has to make a decision because he gets angry because the prophet doesn't respect him how he thinks he deserves to be respected. Isn't that amazing how God does that? How we think that we're moving and we're doing all that we're supposed to do and then God puts us in a situation where we look at ourselves and go, don't they know who I am? How dare you not even come to the door? How dare you not come and talk to me yourself? You gonna send somebody else to talk to me? Naaman was offended because the prophet did not respect his credentials, because the prophet did not bow down to his title And so the text says that he gets angry and then he's really offended because he told him to go wash in the Jordan. Can I suggest to us this morning that some of the challenges we face is because God decides to solve problems in ways you and I don't agree with. How many times, and you don't have to raise your hand this morning, how many times has God solved a problem for you and God does it in a way you never would have imagined? How many times have you looked for the solution? How many times have you done the math and figured out the formula and thought that if I just do this, this, and this, then all of this should work well, and then God some kind of way goes all the way around the back and does something phenomenal in an unexpected way. And so here it is in the text that Naaman already had it in his mind how this was going to play out. And then the prophet says, man, just go wash in the river and everything will be fine. And Naaman says, I would have been fine if I, would have did the, if I could wash in Damascus. I'm familiar with that. I'm comfortable with that. That meets my standards. But Elisha says, go wash in the Jordan. Now, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but if the prophet would have told me to go wash in the Jordan, I would have said, I'll do it and I'll run my way over there because I don't know how you Bible readers feel about it, but there's some phenomenal stuff that happens at the Jordan. There there have been some miraculous wonders that God has done 
at the Jordan. Elisha, when he was with his mentor and his predecessor, he was with him when he was taken into heaven by a chariot of fire. And the Bible says that when his cloak fell down, Elisha used it and he snapped it at the Jordan and walked across on dry land. That it's the same Jordan River when Joshua is leading the people of Israel that they walk across on dry land as they walk behind the priests on the way to take down Jericho. The Jordan River is the same river that the Messiah would come in which he would be baptized. If you want me to wash in the Jordan, I'll wash in the Jordan seven days a week as much as you want me to do it. We have to trust that God knows best. And we often have to put our egos to the side so that God can do with us and through us what he desires to do. But can I say amen real quick for having good help? Look at what happens to Naaman. Naaman is mad. Can you imagine this grown man in this military uniform stomping off, having a temper tantrum? And then his soldiers come to him and say, uh, uh, Captain, can I talk to you for a minute? The prophet didn't ask you to do anything difficult. He just asked you to go dip in the Jordan. Now we know you, we've been around you for a while and we don't mean any disrespect, but if it would have been something difficult, you would have jumped on your high horse and did it. And they said, but since it's simple, don't you think you ought to at least try it? I thank God for the folks in my life that look at me because they know me and they know when I'm acting in a way that's not the way God would have me to act. I am thankful for the people in my life who keep me grounded. They say, are you serious? That's all God asks you to do and you acting crazy about that? All of us need those people in our lives and it benefits us to listen to them every now and then. And so the text says that after they confront him, after he is confronted with his own ego, the text says that he listens to them and he goes to the Jordan to wash. Now listen, this morning we've already talked about the cover-up, the fact that he's covering his infirmity. We've talked about the cure. The servant girl tells him, go to the prophet in Samaria and he will cure you. Number three, we talked about the confusion. He, she said, go to the prophet and he goes to the king. Fourthly, we've talked about the confrontation where Naaman has to confront his own ego that is standing in the way of him being cured. But then lastly, in verses 13 through 15, I wanna talk about the change. Look at what happens just from a brief conversation with his soldiers. The text says that after that conversation, Naaman puts his ego to the side and he decides to be obedient to what the prophet says. The text tells us that he goes down to the Jordan, he dips in it seven times, and it says that when he's done dipping, his body comes up and his skin is like that of a newborn baby. In other words, out of his obedience came a change. Somebody missed that right there. Out of his obedience, let me talk to this side over here. Out of his obedience, there came a change. Can I talk to us this morning as Christians to let you know that all we have to do is obey God and a change will come. I like to think about this as we like to talk about in, in, in the black church, we like to talk about my, uh, my sanctified imagination. I begin to think about the idea that as Naaman goes down to the Jordan River, I'm sure he was still a little bit reserved. He was still a little bit nervous. He began to look in the water and couldn't see to the bottom and said, he wants me to dip in this and this is where the cure is gonna come. And his soldiers said, come on, man, just do it. We got you, come on, just do it. Just do it. And I would imagine that he got in the water and dipped the first time 
and maybe much didn't change. He said, seven, go ahead and do it again. So he dipped again and he probably began to feel a little bit better. But then he dipped the third time and I think it started to get good to him. He dipped the fourth time and he probably began to feel sensations in his hands. He dipped the fifth time and he began to notice that his skin felt different. He dipped the sixth time and began to feel brand new, but then he dipped the seventh time. And the text says that when he came out, his skin was brand new. Can you imagine how one who is supposed to be dignified, how one who is supposed to be in his uniform and is supposed to make sure that he abides by the etiquette of the military, can you imagine how he began to leap and to shout? Because his life had now been changed. Maybe some of y'all don't understand what this means. If Naaman had been in Israel, you do know that leprosy would have kept him out of the city. You do know that leprosy would have had to make him walk down the streets professing to everyone, I am unclean, don't touch me. But now God has delivered him and made his life brand new so that he no more has limitations. He no longer has to cover up who he is. He no longer has to be ashamed because God made a change in his life. And the text says that after he dipped seven times, the number of completion, by the way, that after he dipped seven times in the muddy Jordan, that his skin was made clean. I just want to offer to somebody this morning that whatever God is suggesting that you do, whatever God is speaking into your heart, even if it does not sound logical, obedience is the best way to go. Because we have to trust that God always knows best. And so I like how this text ends. It says that after he gets through dipping in the Jordan, look at what he does. It says in verse number 15 that Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him and declared. In other words, he shouted to the top of his lungs, I know there's no God in the whole world except for the God in Israel. Can I tell you that that's the ultimate goal for why you and I share Jesus is because we want somebody else to declare that there's no other God but the God of Israel. There's no other God but the God that we serve. There is no other God but the God who sits on the throne. And now Naaman, a captain of the army of Syria, is proclaiming that there is no other God. That's why it's important that you and I act like the little servant girl. It's not about name, it's not about title, but it's about getting out the name of Jesus. And Naaman's life has been changed because he heard from that little girl. Now I need to tell you, because I know my time is running short, that in this story, we've talked about the fact that there's a cover-up of his infirmity. There's a cure that the young girl tells him about. There's confusion about where to go there's a confrontation with his ego, but then a change takes place in his life. And can I tell you that the reason why this story is so relevant to me is because you and I are impacted the very same way. Because I need to tell you that from the beginning of time, there's been a cover-up with humanity. From the beginning of time, Adam and Eve have been trying to cover up our sins with fig leaves. We've been trying to cover up our sins with money. We've been trying to cover up our sins with titles, with accolades, with accomplishments. But you need to know that the sin that's present in us cannot be covered up. But I want you to know that we're not hopeless because there is a cure. Because the Bible declares to me that one day God gave his only begotten son 
and that he sent him down in the form of a man and that he walked the streets of Galilee, that he fed hungry folks, that he healed the sick, gave sight to the blind. And then one day he made the ultimate sacrifice of giving his life on Calvary. But I need you to know that even in 2020, there's still some confusion. Some folks believe if I just live good enough, some folks believe if I just give enough money to charity, if I just treat people right, that I can be saved, but that's not the cure. The cure says that you must believe in Jesus and believe that the sacrifice he made on Calvary covered up my sins. And I need to tell you that even though Jesus died on Calvary, there's still a confrontation. There's a confrontation that took place on that Friday while he hung on that old rugged cross. He confronted sin, he confronted death, and he confronted the grave. And I'm here to tell you that I'm so grateful that there's a change that took place in my life because when Jesus had that confrontation, he won with a resounding victory. The Bible declares that he hung on that old rugged cross, that he died between two thieves, that he hung there from the sixth to the ninth hour until he put his head in the locks of his shoulders. The Bible declares that he declared it is finished. They took him off that cross and put him in a borrowed tomb. Can I tell you, Great Heels, I love the fact that it's a borrowed tomb because that meant that one day he was going to give it back. The Bible declares that he stayed in the grave for three days until early Sunday morning. He rose from the dead with all power in heaven and earth in his hands. And I'm here to tell you that because Jesus was raised from the dead, all of us can have that same change. All of us, our lives can be changed. All of us can live the life that God would have us to live. And we don't have to be like Naaman. All we have to do is be obedient and know that Jesus can make the difference. I'm reminded of a hymn that says, what a wonderful change in my life has been made since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul, which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from wandering and going astray. My sins, which were many, have been wrestled away, all because Jesus came into my heart. Right now, this morning, if you're hearing us, wherever you might be, you need to know that if you allow Jesus to come into your heart, your sins also can be taken away that a miraculous change can happen in your life. For those of you who already know Jesus, who are saved, you can make a recommitment to your life that I want to be stronger, I want to be bolder, but no longer independent of the God who saved me. And right now is the moment that we want you to do that. Right now is the moment that we want you to look into your life and determine where you are with God and no longer seek to be independent away from him, but to walk in life with him. Let us pray this morning. God, our Father, we thank you so much for this time that you have granted us. We thank you so much for your word and we thank you for the opportunity to know that although we try to cover up who we are, we no longer have to do that because there is a cure. And we know that your son Jesus is the ultimate cure. We know that he died and was raised on the third day so that our sins might be forgiven. And God, we are grateful for that. And so right now we know that there may be someone who doesn't know you for themselves. And so we pray for them right now that they would accept you into their hearts, that they would believe and confess with their mouth that what Jesus did on Calvary was sufficient and enough that I might attain salvation and live in heaven with you for eternity. And so God, right now, we thank you for all of those who are listening who have now made a profession of Christ. We thank you for those who are already saved, who have made the decision today that I will no longer live independent of who God is, but I will walk with him in this journey. And so God, we just thank you now for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the privilege of walking with you. 
We thank you for your love and your sacrifice that you would give your only begotten son that we might have eternal life. We pray blessings upon all. We thank you for this moment. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we do pray. Amen.